Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about science fiction, science, and the universe. I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction, and my most recent book is about archaeology. It's called Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. I'm Charlie Jean Anders. I'm a science fiction writer, and I have three books out now. Uh, one is a young adult space fantasy epic called Victories Greater Than Death. Another is a how-to writing book for surviving hard times called Never Say You Can't Survive. And finally, I just published a short story collection called Even Greater Mistakes. So things are pretty dark and dystopian out there, which is why this week we are looking at the world exclusively through sparkle vision. We're exploring the future of comedy with one of our favorite comedians, Vinnie Thomas, whose videos on Twitter have introduced us to characters like the poor bureaucrat at Starfleet who has to interview humans about their sad little request to join the Federation, and to the true opinions of the female condor who just hatched some babies without ever mating with a male. Yeah, that actually happened, by the way, so look it up. So we'll be talking about social media comedy, what makes science funny, and then we'll ask Finney some important questions about the future of our civilization. Also, on our audio extra next week, we'll be talking about what happens when science fiction parodies go bad. By the way, did you know that this podcast is entirely supported by listeners like you? If you join us on Patreon and become a patron, you get an audio extra with every episode. Plus, you get essays and reviews and access to our Discord channel where we hang out all the time, Charlie Jane, right? We do. We do. We're in there. We're, like, talking about toothpaste and, like, the future of teeth. It's amazing. And it can all be yours for just a few bucks a month. And any money you chip in helps to make our opinions continue to be mostly correct. So find us on Patreon at Our Opinions Are Correct. And now, here's the show. So we're talking to Vinnie Thomas, an amazing comedian. He's performed in Second City. He's a writer for NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's done a bunch of improv, and he's probably best known to many of us from pandemic times as having done incredible videos on Twitter and Instagram that have been brightening our favorite hell sites for the past couple of years. So <laughs> welcome, Vinny. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is incredible. Isn't it? Isn't it great? This resplendent virtual studio that we're all in. Oh, yeah. I can feel the Hugo Award winning just emanating. (laughs) (laughs) Every surface is just a rocket. It's just like we're sitting on like rocket chairs. Every surface is being penetrated by pointy (laughs) silver rockets. Exactly. So I wanted to start by asking you about just the process of doing comedy. So... How do you pick a topic to satirize? Like, what makes a science story or a science fiction story funny to you? Oh, boy. Well, I think science fiction is always at its funniest when it's, like, a human bureaucracy, mm-hmm. like, yes. in some fantastic, limitless context, right? So, like, 
Star Trek is great and I love Star Trek, but a lot of it is very funny because it's still like this. It's still like a corporation, you know, it's mm-hmm. like this human yeah. business in space. They have their cute little uniforms. And like when you're in it, it's great. But sometimes you take a step away and you're like, wow, this is objectively funny and ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I, I think science story, science and science fiction are both funniest when you think about like applying it to a human context or like applying a human context to that. Does that make sense? Or have I just said context too much? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I there's a context clue in there somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I know. We need more context for the context. I know what you mean, because I feel like especially things like Star Trek, where we do get this glimpse of a kind of um, it's like a corporation. It's like the military. And they're kind of, you know, off in the background doing a bunch of stuff. And we barely ever meet them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't really know who they are. You know, there's a beep every now and then coming from the back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I love about your videos that you post is that you'll kind of create these characters who are like, you know, like my favorite video of yours is the one where the person is kind of interviewing us to see if we can join the Galactic Federation. How fast are your teleporters? No teleporters. Uh, uh, flying cars. No. Uh, a high-speed train that goes around the planet? No, you don't have that either. Okay. <laughs> what about, does everyone have health care? Is there enough food to go around? It looks like some people are starving. You do have enough food. Then why isn't it logistics? You want me to write logistics? Okay. Starving because of logistics. <laughs> How do you go about like creating like a character that, you know, is going to work for like a, a one minute or two minute video like that? And how, what do you where do you does that start from? Well, um, let me tell you, I'm a I'm a born rambler. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the cool way. I mean it in that I will just talk and <laughs> not shut up. Um, so like whenever I make a video, it, it is usually I'll just sit down for five minutes and like think about how that character sounds or how they act. And then I'll just talk for five minutes straight, and then I'll just cut it down. Oh, so there's a lot of editing. And is it all yeah. improvised, or do you, like, jot down some ideas first, or what? Oh, it's it's all improvised, buddy. Sometimes I'll, <laughs> <laughs> if while I'm prattling on, I hit upon something that I think is, like, a gold nugget, I'll go back and do it again. Um, but I never uh, I never write things down and, like, read them off of a script. And I think part of that's just because my eyes are huge. And you'd notice. (laughs) (laughs) How do you pick an accent for one of these characters? Do you have like a set of accents that are your like go-to accents? Yeah, I think anyone who does a lot of sketch or improv um, and is more charactery definitely has a stock. Um, And my stock includes like Southern Waif (laughs) and, um, and, you know, you know, yeah, I, I just got my solid go-tos that I, I usually lean on heavily. Um, sometimes when I want to challenge myself, I'll try something new. But it doesn't, uh, it doesn't always pan out as well. I think even with, do you guys see the fly video? I did a video where it's a fly. Mm-hmm. It looks like I found my way in, but I cannot find my way out. Oh, it's too hard. There is no way to leave. I will just sit on the fruit and I'll rub my hands together like this. I rub my hands together like this. And when you get closer, I run away. I fly, I fly away. But you will never catch me. I, I didn't do the Italian voice for that one originally. I cycled through a few and it didn't sound 
good until the fly was Italian. So sometimes the voice has to kind of suit whatever the character is. And I don't know until I try it. Mm-hmm. So flies just struck you as particularly Italian. They are particularly Italian. Mm-hmm. They're gregarious and a little irritating. Yeah, um, I really loved I loved the cow video that you did. Oh, my God. What are you drinking? Are you just drinking a glass of my milk? Like with nothing in it, just a plain glass of cow's milk? No, I'm not being judgmental. It's just like, you know, it's for babies, like little babies. And I felt like that was like the cow was just like some kind of Zoomer, you know, just like really skeptical. Like, what? You're just, why are you drinking that milk? What? What's wrong <laughs> with you? Milk is such a freaky concept. It really milk is. Oh my gosh. It's a science fiction thing in and of itself. Like, what a weird evolutionary route that we've taken where we domesticate this creature just to drink from it. Like, how strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's really disturbing. Yeah, I just I just finished um, a science fiction novel that I, I'm about to turn in next week, and it has a character in it who is a cow who is deeply disturbed by dairy. And there's Ooh, it's I like a whole right. subplot, you know, about, about dairy trauma. So I think, you know, you're hitting on something important there. And you know what? That's really brave because people talk a lot about representation. But who is speaking for the cows? That's what I want to know. And really good point. That's what I'm answering in this book. So, and there's, you know, there's <laughs> there's moose in there also. So, you know, I'm I'm handling it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get a ton of feedback online, like maybe more than you want. And I'm wondering how much that affects you. Like, do you think about what people are going to say on Twitter when you when you post something or are you just like, nope, I'm just in my head and then it goes out into the world and people can make what they want of it? Oh, no, it affects me deeply, (laughs) very, very deeply. Sometimes I will delete videos. I feel like that's one of the things I'm known for, unfortunately, is I will just take a video down, not necessarily if the responses are mean, but even if they're just like a little weird, if I get too much of a response that's a little weird, I'll just be like, you know, wait, am I allowed to, can I swear on this yes, podcast? Yeah, of course, do. of course. I'll just be like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like throw it away. Yeah. Um, because the vibe, oh, well, don't sound sad. I don't want it to sound sad. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just like, um, you know. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. You know, sometimes the the energy needs to be kind of fun. And if it's weird, it's uh, it's thrown off a little bit. Like weird how? Like what is it? What do you, what's a weird response to a funny video? Oh boy. I I made a video about a chicken uh, who was talking about how it used to be a dinosaur. Um, Relatable. Yeah, fair enough. I was using this reference. It's a very black community reference of like a hotep. I was using a hotep map over oh. talking about, you know, how we used to be blah, 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 blah. And I didn't see this coming, and I probably should have, but I had a lot of white people of a certain age commenting, um, we were kings and queens, unironically. And I was like, it just feels a little weird. I don't like it as much. Uh, So I went ahead and I I took that puppy down. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, but that's so funny. (laughs) It is. But it's like, it's a funny concept. I guess it's like when you're trying out comedy material at a club and you're kind of waiting to see, oh, did this one land or did this one not? And like, that's kind of Twitter gets to be the club. Yeah, except the difference with the club is, you know, you could leave it behind in the club. Right, you know? and there's a two-drink minimum the in the club, so you know they're going to be at least a little <laughs> wasted. 
Oh my god! You know, this yes. is the thing. I do, I do some comedy, like not a lot, but I do. I I host events and I do kind of comedy in bars, and I'm like, as long as I'm less drunk than the audience, it's going to be fine. <laughs> as long as the audience is pretty. So actually, that leads to another question. Like, you've done improv, you've done like stand up, you've done, you've you've worked on. Wait, wait, don't tell me. How is doing comedy on the internet like different? from those other formats and those other kind of, you kind of talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, people threaten to report you way more on the internet than they do live, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Yeah, internet stuff, internet comedy sketches, that wasn't even something I had considered doing. It wasn't even on my radar until, um, until le pandemic. Uh, The panini. And then, yeah, and then I just started, you know, posting headlong, posting videos all the time, every day, just because it was something to do. But it is a lot different than performing live. I think mostly because it's it's not improv. So you never have to worry about it being bad. Right. You can edit it. Yeah, you can clip it out a little bit. Do, do you feel like you lose something, though, because you don't hear the immediate response of like laughter or recognition on people's faces? Hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's a very that's a very good question. Um, I think I lose something, but I gain something else. I, I think I gain a, a bigger audience yeah. for one, but I do I do yearn for for some claps and laughs every now and then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like part of what you're doing, I mean, I don't want to like sound too serious or important or whatever, but do you feel like part of what God you're doing is, is to kind of educate people a little bit about science or to kind of draw people's attention to scientific scientific discoveries or sci-fi concepts? Yeah, I think there's a lot of science and um, like historical and archaeological news that is very, very interesting to me. Uh, And I think it's interesting to a lot of people, too. It's just never been like a hugely fertile ground. You know, a lot of people will kind of avoid these subjects because they maybe think it's boring or not enough people are interested. But I found that whatever you're very interested in, people will kind of latch on to you, like regardless of how far flung or strange it might seem to them, if it seems like you're into it, then they're kind of going to be into it, you know? Yeah, so it's really about the enthusiasm that you bring to it, not about the subject matter. Exactly. That's That was perfect. That was eloquent. <laughs> that was very well put. Yes. Well, I am a science journalist, so I have feelings. Um, hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, I wanted to ask you about politics and comedy, because occasionally you will post about people who are, like, getting grumpy at you for being political, um, and you often throw in, like, political jokes kind of as asides in your videos. And I'm wondering, like, I have a couple questions around this, but I think my first question is really, is it actually possible for comedy to not be political? Is that even a thing? Like, it feels like people are constantly asking for that. Yeah, I I don't think it's possible. I think even when you're not being political, you're being politicized. So, like, it doesn't matter (laughs) what you're doing. Someone's going to have some perspective on it or someone's going to have some twist on it that makes it political. It also feels a little weird to me sometimes. Like, I'll go a while without posting a video if, if the mood, like, if the zeitgeist feels like it's focused on a more important issue, right? I'm not going to jump up and make another fly video. <laughs> it just <laughs> it just wouldn't land right and it would feel weird and that's not something I would really want to do. But at the same time, I don't like to jump on things like 
you know, there there's a there's a Twitter, what's the word, like person of the day sometimes right, who everyone's yeah, just kind of yes, yes, main character. That's the term. Um yeah. is a Twitter main character that everyone kind of jumps on sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I know everyone's going to make a video about it or everyone's going to make a joke about it. Uh, so then it's like, eh, you know what I mean? Everyone else could have it. You know, yeah. they're going to do a better job. It's going to be funny. I don't need to do it. Um, yeah. So speaking of which, are there forms of online humor that you don't like or that you find are annoying or that, you know, just don't, you don't think they work? Oh, well, let me tell you, this one works, but I don't always find it very funny when people are crazy mean, like beyond the pale just like mean and not in a funny way, just like a list of insults, mm-hmm. which is obviously, you know, that's something that social media just naturally responds to and latches on to. But I don't always I don't always get it. You know, you say your thing unless it's a super villain. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, make your Kyle Rittenhouse jokes, please. But, you know, if it's just some guy like Come on. Some dude who took out the trash in his trash can, whatever, his trash bag yeah. broke, and we're just going to dunk on him for three days because the video yeah. went viral or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, or somebody I mean, said I'll, a foolish thing. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I'll tell you guys here, I think y'all remember Bean Dad? I was going to say that Bean Dad. Yeah. Like, the fucking Bean Dad. Like, dude. Bean Dad was the craziest thing. Okay, he made a kind of cringy speech about how his daughter should open beans. But what we don't need do? to, like, you know? cyber bully this person off the face of the earth. <laughs> I, I feel like Bean Dad is kind of like the the mascot of like, you know, the how the Twitter main character thing can get really toxic. Yeah. Out of hand, man. Yeah. And it Crazy. wasn't yeah. just comedy. It was like people were really angry. Like, this man is abusive and like, you know, we need to report him to the authorities. And it's like, oh, what? And can we talk about that, too? It's so many words that people just be saying. <laughs> 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 abusive for opening beans? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> I mean, God. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it is that the reporting people to the authorities thing is, like, kind of a social media, like, response, you know, that that's, like, part of what we do. Like, you were saying, like, people will tell you, like, I'm going to report you. Like, you're going to get—this is terrible. Like, going to take you to the teacher or the principal's office (laughs) or whatever. I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell. Yeah, I'm going to tell on you. And, like, of course, going to the principal is about as effective as reporting someone to Twitter. You know, it's like nothing changes. (laughs) And you know what? That's so sad because I know you've got a story about that. (laughs) 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 I can't even talk because I'm such a snitch on Twitter. I'd be snitching on people and blocking people 24-7. And I don't Blocking is one thing. I'll block all day. I block and report. But what I'm saying is, like, when I report stuff, like, I don't feel like it does any good. It's just, you know, it's therapeutic. It's just, you know, it is therapeutic. It's kind of a catharsis. I'm just like, it's nice to have that button. It's, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I should just put like a button on the side of my computer. That's just like a, you know, a big red button. That's like a that I can pretend gives an electric shock to whoever I'm annoyed at on the Internet. (laughs) And I can just press it and be like, yeah, you take that. And like, they don't know that I did that. It's not actually giving anybody an electric shock, but I can feel really. You want like the big red button from Squid Game. No, 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 no. Yes. I still haven't watched Squid Game. (laughs) Why haven't you watched Squid Game? Now we can't talk about it. And that was going to be a whole quarter of this. I mean, (laughs) y'all, you guys can talk about it. I'm just, you know. I don't no, know. I like squids. That. I feel like they should get to choose what games they play. Like, I feel like... <gasps> oh, well, that's true. I feel like people are always trying to get squids to do things. Yeah. You know? like, and then there's the you, whole cuttlefish question. Can you get inside <laughs> this bottle? Can you, like, do this puzzle? Can you, like, 
Vinny, I actually need to ask you about cuttlefish. Do you have any thoughts? Oh my God, please. <laughs> well, first, well, first, I have a thought about squids, and it's that they do love games, specifically wrestling with sperm whales. Yeah, um, I've heard that. Yeah, and, you know. And cuttlefish. My friend, my friend Umer Rizbud, whose username is Bummer No B on Twitter, <laughs> um, he actually studies cuttlefish, and he studies their camouflage. I think. They're very beautiful and very sad because they don't live long, cuttlefish. They just live fast and hard lives and then they die, but they're so smart. They leave and a it's crazy for corpse. me. Yeah. Oh, they're gorgeous dead things, just like a soggy loogie. They also, they're, with their camouflage, they can be, um, on one side, they can have male camouflage, and on the other side, they can have female ca- camouflage. They can just oh, divide yeah. right down the middle, which I find very Gender exciting. Gender is dead to cuttlefish. It simply doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> um, but it is weird to think about something so smart that just doesn't live for, like, more than two years. Isn't that crazy? Like, they're smart, very smart, and that's just it. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask you more important questions, not just about cuttlefish, but about everything. Okay, so I have a set of questions that you need to answer, and um, and if they're too much, you can just run screaming from the room, as we previously agreed. Yeah, that was the agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay, question number one. Are you secretly an environmental scientist? Uh, No, I am not. But I do love animals and biology. I've loved them my whole life. And I was a conservation communications intern at a large aquarium. What? Where? You communicated? Shed Aquarium in Chicago. Aw, that's lovely. Okay, so why haven't we found aliens yet? Why aren't they talking to us? Because we're tacky. True. You know, I feel like aliens aren't what we think they are. I think they're beautiful, like, pieces of flesh fabric floating through space or something. And they just don't care. We're not important. Relatable. Right. So what's going to happen to Elon Musk's Mars colony? <laughs> um, given Elon Musk's core demographic, I think he's going to bring people to Mars that support him, um, which means they'll probably die from a nutrient deficiency because they're all eating shitty chicken fingers they're eating Soylent. And, yeah, Soylent for sure. Oh, my God. Forget what I said. They're eating Soylent, and they're inhaling, like, way too much Axe from within their little suits. Uh, <laughs> that, is, that is a real problem. So why is Lil Nas X an important science fiction creator? I think more than being an important science fiction creator, Lil Nas X is going to be an important religious figure well, yeah. in about 2,000 years. I mean... I think he's already an important religious figure, but yeah, he'll get more important. Um, the book of Call Me By Your Name is going to be, wars are going to be fought over that. I Let can me tell believe you. it. But, but he, he has videos about like time travel and having sex with Satan. And like, I mean, he's, he's creating some important science fiction right now. Yeah. I, I mean, he's creating some important science fiction and he's also creating some very shocking moments for all of our grandmothers to talk about at <laughs> yes, Thanksgiving. Indeed. I think it's also important. Very important. Yeah, and and bless him for it. See, I'm already in the religion. I'm, I'm like, ready. Um, oh, yeah, we're all in the religion. It, it's pretty true. <laughs> um, okay, how are we going to deal with climate change? <laughs> oh, at this point, it's probably just going to be body augmentation, right? Like, 
um, we're not really going to fix climate change. I think we're just going to fix ourselves so we can live underwater or live in the desert. Oh, man. Still suits. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God, yes. We Still can drink suits our own and, pee. And, like, fennec fox ears. And, um, yeah. So that's... And horses that don't need water. Awesome. Okay, so that's your future is still suits with self-watering horses. And fox ears. And the fox, fox ears. ears are important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Write that down. So, yeah. No, I like it. All right. Which non-human animals do you think are mocking humans the most? I think it's pigeons. Oh. <laughs> wow. Interesting choice. No, that makes total sense. Wow. I, I always thought we were making fun of them. Yeah, and that's what it is. I think there are much more vengeful people than we give them credit for. And so I think under their breath, with like their full chest, they're calling us like featherless little little skinny bitches. You know, just <laughs> really going in on us. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I also, we're that. so attached to our feet. You know what I mean? Like they're probably just looking down on us like, you know, we can live footless. Can you guys you know, do that? <laughs> they're also attached to their feet and they don't have to be you, look every time I see a pigeon in the road it waits till the last minute to run out from in front of a car and I've seen a lot of flat pigeons and they could simply fly away yeah well maybe you know maybe the last laugh is on them <laughs> although we don't know I feel like they could be uploading their consciousness somewhere and like there could be like a <laughs> pigeon overmind so we don't know what's happening on the internet yeah Every time we hear a pigeon coo, it's probably a slur. Well, that makes total sense, actually. Yeah. So what's the what's the most ridiculous alien on Star Trek? <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> I would say the Ferengi. Yeah. And I, I know that might not be a crazy choice. No, it's, but but they it's, are it's just clearly weird. the right choice. It's clearly the right choice. Yeah, they it's are. one of those things where their lore was written at a time when people weren't super worried about the lore. And so sometimes it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but they do have umoks, so... Like, they do have that's umoks. That's true. And you have... know, it's, it's really important that there's a special kind of blowjob just for ears. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Ferengi, like, there's a whole category of Star Trek aliens who have butts on their heads. Like, there's the Solosians in, like, the cage, and then there's, like... <laughs> There's like a bunch of butt-headed aliens in Star Trek. I never thought yeah. of them as having butt-heads, but, but you're no, so the, right. And the Ferengi are kind of the ultimate evolution of like butt-headedness, like kind of. <laughs> I feel like they have— Because a, they're all male. They're, they're all, all male, like, but they I have like him these giant, like creeps. two giant globes on their heads. No, they're four-globed. <gasps> I think Shut they up. have oh, in the back. four buttocks. They've got it's like a, a double butt. Isn't it a, like a party in the front, business in the back type situation? <laughs> double, or it's a Ferengi, so business butt. in the front, business in the back. Yes, <laughs> well, they've exactly. got their ears for all of the real business. So. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, okay, no, back to beautiful. science. What is the most underrated ecosystem? Oh, the swamp. <gasps> yes. Oh, yeah, no, totally. It's got to be the swamp. swamp. The swamp gets, gets shit on so much, and I think the swamp is beautiful. And look, I've had my fair share of terrible experiences in the swamp. Uh, <laughs> like many children, I tried to catch minnows in the swamp and fell waist deep into a bunch of quicksand. Ooh. But I moved past it, you know? You learned to love the quicksand. 
I learned to love the quicksand, even though it took my uh, my knockoff Walmart croc off of my foot. Oh, and to this man. day, I don't know where it is. Wow, there's so many sad stories here. Just slow down, I'm quicksand. Sorry, is it too Why sad? I keep mentioning hurry. dead animals in quicksand. <laughs> Let's talk about something happy in the swamp, like ooh, gators. Gators sit in the swamp and vibrate and lay eggs. How fun is that? I know, and they're always smiling. Gators are awesome. I, I'm a I'm a gator stan. Yeah. So which 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 X-Men or which mutant character in the X-Men really needs therapy the most? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> We're putting you on um, the spot here. Yeah, I truly don't know much about the Eternals, but X-Men, I would say Storm. And she needs therapy just because she's been carrying the weight of mutants as a people for her entire existence. Right. And she just terraformed an entire planet. So... Like, That'll she take it needs out some of time for herself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just going to say Nightcrawler because he looks like a blue devil guy, but he became a Christian priest at one point and he he teleports everywhere. I don't know. He's got a confusing life. Yeah. I a really— devil to priest track. I want Storm to have some self-care. I think Storm definitely needs to, like, have a spa day. Yeah. Oh, my God. Could you imagine she, like, she runs a bubble bath and then she heats it up with lightning? Yeah. Oh, my God. This would— <laughs> I feel like in the 80s, they used to do an issue where, like, all the ladies of the X-Men would just hang out and go to the mall or whatever, and that would be the whole issue. They should bring that back and just have Storm's spa day and, like, Storm yeah, and a couple of her friends. Just Storm. Storm and maybe <laughs> Jubilee. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jubilee has to go. Yeah. All right. So final question. Um, what is the future of comedy? Oh, <laughs> really, really easy question. Really, really Man. simple. We were working what our way up. <laughs> oh, God. The future of comedy is um, it's it's bright and contentious and filled with twists and turns. And it's it's all happening underground in a vast compound. And um, like with mole people. Yes, yes. Uh, all of the, the mole people are comedians. And all of the people who watch them are snake people. And the comedians who do poorly are consumed immediately on the spot uh, by the snakes in the audience. Wow. I, it seems, it sounds like TikTok. Sounds like a metaphor. Yeah. Oh, could you imagine if it was? I mean. <laughs> that, would, that would be great. <laughs> all right. So thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we learned a lot about the future and about the animal kingdom. So where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me at V-I-N-N underscore A-Y-Y on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, TikTok. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the research hole. All right. So in this segment, which is a very irregular segment that we bring back whenever <laughs> we've been doing too much research, um, we each talk about something that we either accidentally or deliberately started researching and then just fell into a giant hole. Um, so, Charlie Jane, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So I've been kind of obsessively like reading up on the backstory of Marvel Studios. And 
You know, it started because there's a new book out, which full disclosure, I haven't actually read yet, but I've read a million articles about it and I'm, I've got it and I'm going to read it soon. It's called The Story of Marvel Studios, The Making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. And it's kind of the inside story of Marvel. And Basically, there's been a spate of articles basically about the revelations in this book. And one of the big revelations that people were kind of excited and fascinated by was the notion that there was this entity at Marvel called the Marvel Creative Committee, which was made up of people who'd worked at Marvel Comics, like the comic book side of the company, plus just some like people who were movie bigwigs. And it was kind of under this guy, Ike Perlmutter, who's like a billionaire who was running Marvel and kind of wanted to micromanage everything himself. And apparently that the movie Captain America Civil War, which as we all remember, ends with like a big climactic fight between Captain America and Iron Man. And that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that it leads up to the two of them having it out and kind of slugging it out with like his suit of armor versus Captain America's shield. And like it's a whole like emotional kind of thing between these two dudes who've been frenemies for a long time. The creative committee really strongly pushed to get rid of that ending and replace it with an ending where the bad guy, I guess Baron Zemo, has like some super soldiers who he's created and they show up and Captain America and Iron Man have to team up to fight these super soldiers, which is part of why that fascinates me is because that's basically the ending of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which was the other kind of big movie about heroes fighting each other that came out almost right exactly the same time. I think those movies came out like two months apart. And like part of what's disappointing about Batman v Superman is that Batman and Superman fight and it's not very interesting. It's the and worst then, fight. It's, it's the worst. It's dull. And I, it's just, all I remember is one of them breaks a kitchen sink over the other one's I head. Mean, or no, no, a bathroom sink. There's, You know, I once wanted to do a supercut on io9 of like people breaking bathroom sinks because like every superhero movie, someone destroys a bathroom it's true. sink. Also, like it's, it's like a, a whole thing. trope of like, discovering you have superpowers. Yes. You're in the bathroom and then you, you grab the sink. The sink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted to do, like, I never got around to doing it, but I wanted to do a video of every time somebody breaks a sink. Like, Wolverine in the first, the Wolverine origin movie, he destroys a bathroom sink because he's like, oh, I've got metal claws now. Oh, yeah, it's a whole thing. So anyway, you know, it would have been hilarious if, like, the Civil War movie and Batman v Superman had had exactly the same ending because in Batman v Superman, they fight and then they have to team up to fight Doomsday, who's mm-hmm. like basically an incredibly like nondescript. I mean, in the comics, Doomsday is a whole fucking thing. But in the movie version, Doomsday is just some dude. I guess it's a zombie General Zod who has been, I don't know, doesn't make any fucking sense. It's really All I remember crappy. is that he's played by Mark Zuckerberg, the end. No, no. Lex Luthor is played by Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, God, he, I can't even keep track of all the bad he guys. He creates Doomsday randomly for reasons. Okay, for, so he creates Doomsday. I think so. Right, and so Mark just, Zuckerberg is behind God, Doomsday. that movie. But it would have been hilarious if both of those movies had had the same ending. And basically, this creative committee really pushed to do that, to, like, make the ending of the movie something really kind of dumb and formulaic. And Kevin Feige, who is in charge of Marvel, studios had to push back and ultimately obviously he won and this kind of led to the thing where Kevin Feige finally got them pushed out and got complete creative control over the Marvel movies and so you know things have come out in dribs and drabs about like the clashes over the shape of Marvel 
movies between Kevin Feige and Ike Perlmutter on the other side with like the creative committee working with him. And, you know, I had to go back to like some articles that were published in 2015 when this they finally got rid of the creative committee, but also some articles from 2018 when there was like a new news cycle about it. It's super interesting. Like apparently one of the things that Ike and the creative committee kind of pushed through was like when the first Iron Man movie was like a hit, they were like, we have to rush Iron Man 2 into production and put it out immediately. And so that's how we got Iron Man 2, which is, you know, there are other, like you can debate what's the worst movie that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had. And, you know, different people would have different answers. But in terms of what's the most unnecessary movie, what's the most kind of pointless movie, the movie that just like has nothing to say and that no reason to exist. Iron Man 2 is the clearer favorite. It's that there's no, there's nothing to that movie. It's just a bunch of set pieces. And like, I've often described the plot of Iron Man 2 as Tony Stark tries to throw a trade show and people try to sabotage his trade show, which actually, if it had been really about that, if they'd just been like, the caterers didn't show up because they got the flu because someone gave them the flu. No, it's like them going the to food... CES. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like a movie about trying to throw a trade show could have been great, but instead it's it's not. It's just a bunch of really boring fight scenes with like Mickey. Is it true that that movie was also like a lot of improv too? That's what Well, I the read. first Iron Man was a lot of improv. I thought I think, Iron Man 2 was like exclusively improv. I think improv. that both of the first two Iron Man movies Movies were like heavily with involved a lot of improv and it works incredibly well in the first Iron Man because they had a strong script or at least they had a script. I mean, there are different accounts of how much they had a script when they were working on that movie, but there's a story to it and it has an it has a framework, it has an arc of like Tony Stark's origin story. Whereas Iron Man 2 just, you know, you could really like you could skip that movie and miss nothing. Um, but also, apparently, the creative committee, one of the things that they did, which I found in a 2018 article, was that they really did not want the 1970s music soundtrack in Guardians of the Galaxy. They were like, no, it should just be like generic superhero music. Oh, no. And it's like, that would have just torn the beating heart out of that film. And like they also, also I'm sure they've sold a jillion I'm sure. albums. I mean, God, too. I've listened to the Guardians of the Galaxy one and two soundtracks like more times than I can re re remember. And like they also wanted Ronan the villain. I think they did succeed in making Ronan the villain more of a kind of a just a straight up kind of bland comic book villain, which is what he is in that film. But there's a bunch of other ones, and apparently they were the reason why Edgar Wright kind of had to quit directing Ant-Man because they just kept butting in with with their ideas about what it should be. So, you know, it's super interesting. And obviously, there's a certain amount of like the Victor's writing history here, I'm sure. But still, it does sound like there was this like filmmaking by committee. And then, you know, you find these articles from again from 2018, which kind of argue that like when the creative committee was pushed out, when Ike Perlmutter was no longer in charge, suddenly that's when you get things like Thor Ragnarok and you get like, you know, some kind of more like, I mean, Marvel movies are very kind of like crowd pleasing and mainstream, but they did kind of push the envelope a little bit more after 2015. And they did kind of go in some pretty intense directions that might not have worked previously. So, Annalie, what is your research hole? So I have been, for the past year, actually, researching uh, my next nonfiction book, which is going to be about psychological warfare. And so I've been really diving deep into some pretty weird uh, byways of the culture 
And one of the most interesting factoids that I learned just recently uh, was when I was interviewing Audra Wolf, who is this incredible historian who writes a lot about the history of science. And she has this great book, which I would highly recommend, called Freedom's Laboratory. And it's basically all about how the Cold War changed science and about how uh, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were um, it locked in a kind of scientific battle, um, actually mostly over biology, not over atomics, which is what you would think. Um, you'd think it would be like the physicists fighting it out or, you know, Sputnik versus the U.S. space program. But actually a lot of the uh, funding for U.S. scientific endeavors was coming from the CIA. And so one of the things that Audra Wolf was telling me about was that as she was researching the book, she discovered that this really little-known group called the Asia Foundation, which still exists, by the way. It was founded in the 50s, and the idea was that it would just be an organization, a nonprofit, for scientists to engage in kind of like international collaboration. Um, the idea was to spread uh, Western scientific knowledge to the world, specifically to Asia, um, and they did a lot of, like, making textbooks and things that are really innocuous, you know, holding conferences that would, like, bring together international scientific researchers. And it turned out in 1967, uh, the Asia Foundation's cover was blown, and it was revealed to be a CIA-funded operation. <laughs> and one of the things that Audra Wolf is really careful to explain in her book and that she was careful to say when I interviewed her is that that doesn't mean that the organization was, like, controlled by the CIA. The CIA wasn't calling the shots. Usually what it meant to be a CIA-funded organization like this was just that they'd give you a little money and you would share information with the CIA. And so that's what was going on with the Asia Foundation in part. There were a lot of other things happening. But one thing that the CIA did, and th the thing is, is that when I was talking to Audra Wolf, I kept saying, wow, there were just this incredible number of these scientific organizations being funded by the U.S. intelligence agencies. And is that just because the U.S. was richer in the 1950s? Like, is that the kind of thing that you do if you're just a country that so, has so much money to throw around that you're like, sure? Because, you know, the CIA also funded a bunch of artistic organizations, too. Like, they, like Jackson Pollock was kind of indirectly funded by the CIA. And I was like, this just sounds crazy. It just sounds like they had too much money. And Audra Wolf was like, no, actually, this was really cheap. And the example she gave was that at one point, the CIA gives the Asia Foundation $10,000. And they're like, hey, guys, we got this $10,000. We want you to use this money to buy memberships in the Asia Foundation for prominent scientists throughout the world who are sympathetic to the United States, right? Holy cow. So specifically thinking of, you know, scientists in areas that were either communist or that had a lot of communist sympathies. So they wanted to identify who these people were that they maybe could call on at some point to do I guess, science for them in the name of Western uh, civilization or something. So wow. the point is that what they did was they were like, just buy these. You know, you guys are the experts at Asia Foundation. You know who the best scientists are in all of these countries. You know who the elites are in these countries. You go ahead and just it's up to you. You invite whoever you think the best scientists are. And we just want to know their names and their contact information and the organizations they're associated with. That's all. That's all we want. 
And um, and that was one of the things that they did. And that was one way that the CIA was indirectly gathering intel was by kind of funding these organizations. And just for 10,000 bucks, now they've got this heat map of, um, you know, Western sympathizers among the scientific elites in these countries that were wow. that were communist sympathizing or, or directly communist. So the thing I loved about that story was, one, I love that it was so cheap. And mm-hmm. two, I love that it's so close to what we're dealing with now when we think about surveillance and we think about um, how indirect surveillance can be when you have big data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's sort of a, a joke among my paranoid friends about anytime you sign up for some kind of app, you know, who knows where that information is going? You know, maybe that app is being, you know, is is owned by fascists and they're collecting your data or, or maybe it's the CIA. We don't know. Um, and it turns out Sometimes it is. Sometimes you join an innocuous scientific organization and your information is going directly to the CIA. So That is amazing. That is the story of the Asia Foundation. The Asia Foundation has a, a long and interesting history. They are no longer uh, a CIA operation, <laughs> apparently, uh, as far as we know. Does it say that on their website? Does it say... No No longer funded by the CIA. No, they don't actually mention this on their website, which is what was really funny. Because the first thing I did, of course, once she told me that, was like, oh, my God, what the heck? And uh, no, they don't don't mention that. Um, But if you want to hear more about this and all of the other scientific organizations that were funded by the CIA during the Cold War, check out Freedom's uh, Laboratory by Audra Wolf. That is so fascinating. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to Our Opinions Are Correct. And if you would like to be a patron and help support this podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ouropinionsarecorrect. Um, You can find us on Twitter at OOACpod. And if you are downloading this podcast using Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you would leave us a review. It helps people find the podcast. And thank you so much to our intrepid producer. Producer Veronica Simonetti. Thanks to Women's Audio Mission, where we record these podcasts every other week. And thank you to Chris Palmer for the music. And talk to you later. And if you're a patron, we'll see you on Discord, where we hang out all the time. Bye. Bye.